Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you today that because of your grace, because of the Son's sacrifice, because of the Holy Spirit's power, we have the ability and the joy to press on. Knowing that in this life, Lord, there's hardships. In this life, there are aches and pains. Nevertheless, because of you, Lord, we, got, we have hope for eternity. Thank you, Lord, that we can press on in your name. Father, today as we come and we open up your word and we continue the study of the life of Abraham and his journey of faith, Lord, may we see ourselves here and our journey of faith. May we find encouragement here. May we find strength here. May we find the hope of your eternal promise. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. We'll be looking at that whole chapter today as we look at this journey of faith, Abraham's journey of faith. And today we are looking at one of the most important events in Scripture. Not the most important, I wouldn't say, but one of the most important events in Scripture and that is the presentation of the Abrahamic Covenant. And so uh, we've got much to learn here this morning. Abraham, you remember, has surrendered to the Lord. The Lord called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and called him to a land, the, the land of Canaan, in which God says, I'm going to give to you and your offspring forever. And so Abraham has come here out of faith, and he has been through some battles. We just saw not too, a couple of Sundays ago, he went through the battle between, uh, against the four kings and came out victorious. Last week we looked at his choice as the Mal Melchizedek, the king of righteousness and the king of peace, offered him a blessing from the Lord, and the king of Sodom offered him the pleasures of this world and Abraham of course chose the blessings of God and now in light of that God comes to Abraham and makes him this promise if you found your place there then stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. 
Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord, how, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought, and he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid them each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions as for you you shall go to your fathers in peace you shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Of course, the most important uh, event in history would be, well, both the comings of Christ, the first and second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But uh, next to that, this event is one of the most important events in history. Because here, when we, we look at the Abrahamic covenant, we see that first clear pronouncement of the gospel. We don't see the, the whole picture. God hasn't revealed the whole picture to Abram of how all of this will work out. He didn't say uh, Jesus would come and die and all of that stuff, but, but he is giving him this promise. He's giving him this hope. This is good news to Abram, and it's good news for us as we see how this unfolds and affects us even today. What we have here in the Abrahamic covenant, this is a covenant between God and Abraham, or Abram. He's not Abraham yet, right? 
And the people of this day, this, they would have understood this covenant kind of language. And that's the way God is. He communicates to us in such a way that we can understand. He is far above us, and, and we can't even think his thoughts. But yet he comes and he, he humbles himself, and, and he gets down on our level, and he communicates to us in such a way that we can understand. And so he comes to Abraham, and he makes a co covenant with Abraham. A covenant is something Abraham would have understood. A covenant is something that the people of Israel, when Moses presented Genesis to them, would have understood. And, and that day, uh, a Caesarean vassal treaty or a Caesarean vassal covenant was common in the land. A Caesarean would be the sovereign. A vassal would be the subjects. And so what we have here in the Abrahamic covenant is this covenant between the sovereign and his vassal, his subject, Abraham. A covenant between God, Lord of heaven and earth, and this man, Abram. And he's coming to him and he is making this covenant with them. Now, in the ancient days, this is how it would have looked in the ancient days. You would have a sovereign, you would have a king, and he would come to a people, to his subjects, and he would come into covenant with them. The king would promise to be lord and protector of the realm, of the people. I will protect you. I will wield the sword in your behalf. And the vassals, the subject, would swear allegiance to the king. You will be our king. We will be your people. We will serve you. We will obey your laws. We will do what you ask us to do. And so they would come into covenant together. And this is a, a covenant. This isn't a contract. We think in our day in America, we think of contracts. But, you know, a contract can easily be broken. But a covenant can't be broken. A covenant is everlasting. Once it is made, it is everlasting. If someone breaks it, then there are ooh, tremendous consequences, as we'll see. And so Abraham enters into this covenant with God. We do have an example of this kind of covenant elsewhere in Scripture. Of course, you may think of the Mosaic Covenant. When the people of Israel came out of Egypt and they were there at Mount Sinai, God came to them and he made a covenant with them. This was a, a covenant. This was a, con, a conditional covenant. In other words, uh, God came to the people and he says, I will be your God. I will bless you if you will be my people and you will obey my word. Of course, we know that as time went on, Israel didn't keep the covenant. They broke the covenant. They didn't keep the word of God. They didn't keep his commandments. Therefore, they were cast out of the land of promise, cast into exile because of their disobedience, because of their breaking of this covenant. But that was a conditional covenant. But the glory of the Abrahamic covenant is it is unconditional. It is unconditional. And that's where I want us to start this morning. As we think about the Abrahamic covenant, we first of all, we notice here in this covenant God's unconditional promise. God's unconditional promise. 
As we look at what the Lord promises Abraham, we see four things. We can identify four things here, at least four things here in, in the passage. First of all, he comes to Abram and he says, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. I am your shield. What God is promising Abraham here is protection. Protection. I will be your protector. I will guard you against the evils of this world. I will protect you. Now Abraham has realized this in some sense already, hasn't he? As he went out to war against the four kings and came back victorious, he accomplished what no other king could do. And he came back a conqueror because the Lord had given his enemies into his hand. But now the Lord is making it official. And he says, I am coming into covenant with you and I promise you, Abram, I am your shield. I am your protector. He promises him protection. Second, he promises him provision. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Some translation says, your very great reward. I kind of like that one a little bit better. Your very great reward because the Lord God, the creator of heaven and earth, says to Abram, I'm your reward. I will be your reward. Abram, you remember, he had just turned down the, the great reward offered to him by this earthly king, by the king of Sodom. But now here comes the creator of all of heaven and earth, and he says, I will be your reward. I will be your reward. The one who owns it all, I'm your reward. And I think what we see here and woven in this is that God is promising Abram that he would provide for him. He is promising him provision. He is promising him, I'm your reward. I will bless you. I will keep you. I will make sure that you are provided for. He is promising Abram provision. A third thing that he is promising Abram is a people. He is promising him a people. Abraham, Abram talks to the Lord. And he says, what shall you give to me? What will you give to me? For I continue childless. He says, my heir is going to be this guy here from Damascus, Eleazar from, of Damascus, a servant, a slave in my household. This is going to be my heir. I have no heir, God. What are you going to give me? And he says, no, this man's not going to be your heir. But you're going to have a son, an offspring, and he will be your heir. And then he takes him outside. Takes him out and says, look up at the stars. You're worried about an heir? Look at the stars and count the stars if you are able. So shall your offspring be, Abram. He promises him a people. Not just an heir, but a people. A multitude of people. A great number of people so great that we could not possibly count them. He promises him a people. And he also promised them, fourth of all here, a place. A place. 
as this was the first thing that really he promised him when he came out of Ur of Chaldeans, I will give you a land, right? He says, I will give you, I brought you here out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. He promises him a place. Did Abram ever realize that? He didn't in his life, did he? He never owned, he, all, or all he owned in the land of Canaan was one burial site, and that was it. Hmm. So the Lord God promises Abraham protection, provision, a people, and a place. Now, I want you to see this, and I want you to think about this. What is the Lord promising Abram? Is he not promising him the very things that we need most? What do we need? What do we need in life to, to, to have a fulfilled life? To have a, a blessed life? Our greatest needs are these. Shelter, right? We need a place. We need shelter. We need a, a, a place to settle in, to be. If we were just wanderers, wandering around the world, would we ever really find joy and contentment? We need shelter. We need a place to be. We need a place. We need security. We need security. We need to feel safe. If we're always scared, if we're always worried about what's going to happen to us, what, might, what terror might befall us, what good is life? If you've seen someone who has just experienced absolute terror, it, it, it messes them up. We need shelter. We need security. We need that safety. But we also need sustenance. We need those provisions. We need the things that, that help us to live. We need air to breathe. Praise God that he gives us air to breathe. We need food in our belly. We need all of these things. There's certain things that we need to, to keep us going. We need provision. We need sustenance. But we also need, fourth of all, we need socialization, don't we? We need a people. We need a people. We need people to be around. God has made us to be social creatures, to have relationships. Uh, now, I'm an introvert, and, and I do like to get away from time to time and be by myself, but I can't be that way all the time. I would go crazy. Remember the movie Castaway? Tom Hanks plays a guy who gets sur uh, st stranded out there on a desert island all by himself. And as he, he begins to learn how to live on this desert island, you know, he, he finds ways to, to provide the provisions. He, he finds food to eat and, and finds ways to, to get fresh water so that he can, he can keep that, the sustenance that he needs to live. He finds shelter, finds a place to get and, and find shelter from the elements and, and have some sort of, of security there, even though he was the only person there, so, uh, but he had security. But the one thing he lacked was socialization, wasn't it? He didn't have a people there with him. And so what did he do? You remember he found a, 
a Wilson ball of some sorts, and he painted a face on it, and you saw him there in the cave, and he would have arguments with Wilson. What are you talking about, Wilson? But he, he did the best he could, and he, he created a person out of this ball, something that he could focus on to, to give him some sense of, of that kind of socialization. But if he had remained there, uh, it really would have driven him nuts, right? Because we're not made to be alone. We need people. We need that socialization. And look what God promises. God promises protection. He promises safety. He pro promises provisions to take care of those needs that, that keep us going, to keep us living he promises to a people, a social aspect that we need, and he promises us a place, some place to settle down and call home. That's why he promises Abram, and he promises that same thing to us. But also notice that this is God's promise. But what's absent here? Is any condition laid upon Abram? This is absolutely in stark contrast to, to all other uh, Caesarean vassal treaties. Other treaties between sovereigns and their subjects had conditions. The king said, I will provide this for you if you will obey my laws. We see that in the Mosaic Covenant. The Lord comes to the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, says, I will be your God if you obey my commandments. But when it comes to the Abrahamic Covenant, and the New Testament presses this over and over and over again, it's before the law. And in the Abrahamic Covenant, there are no conditions. God doesn't say, Abram, I promise you this, these things if you will do this. God says, Abram, I promise you these things, period. There are no conditions, and that's very important. We'll see in a moment more and more. So as God comes with this unconditional promise, then Abram asked, asked God, then how shall I know? How shall I know? Especially to the, the, the question of the land. I've got all this land before me. How shall I know that I'm going to possess it? How shall I know, God? And so God comes with an absolute guarantee. So here we see God's absolute guarantee. God's absolute guarantee. And God makes a covenant with Abram. He makes a covenant. Now, in the Hebrew, uh, when you hear this make a covenant, it, it's often phrased as cutting a covenant. Cutting a covenant, and you're going to see why. He makes a covenant with Abram. He tells Abram, you bring these things. You, you bring the heifer, you bring the goat, you bring the ram, you bring the, the, the pigeon and the dove. You bring them. Abram knows what's going on. And so Abram brings these things, and he cuts them in half, and he lays them, the halves, separate of one another. So imagine that. He cuts them in half. There's half a heifer, half of a heifer, half of a goat, half of a goat, half of a ram, half of a ram. There's the pigeon. There's the dove. 
lay them out on the ground. God's coming to make a covenant with me. So Abram gets all, he gets ready. He's got it all ready. God's coming. We're going to make this covenant together. He's coming. And the day draws out long. And the birds of prey, they start coming down on these dead carcasses laying out there on the desert floor. And Abram's out there. He's trying to brush them off, brush them off. Get away from here. Get away from here. Don't get into this sacrifice. Don't mess with this. And it goes on all day. As the evening begins to come, God causes a deep sleep. Fall on Abram. It is a divine sleep. This is not your ordinary sleep. God causes a deep sleep to come over Abram. And when he's in this deep sleep, there's this fear begins to overwhelm him the presence of the Lord his God is coming down to be with him see that's what happens when unrighteous people come into the presence of a righteous God fear and trembling takes place Abram is in fear is trembling because the presence of of a thrice holy God is coming down before him. It says, as he lays there asleep, the presence of the Lord comes in a fire pot and a torch. And it comes through and walks through between the separated pieces of this animal, of these animals. What does that signify? Well, you see, when they made a covenant, they would do that. They would take these animals and they would half them and set them on each side. And in a normal covenant, the two people, the king and a subject, perhaps a representative of a people, would come together And they would walk through the pieces and they would swear an oath to one another. I will be your king if you will obey my laws. I will obey your laws if you will be my king. And what they would say, we will do this. And if one of us breaks this covenant, let us be torn asunder like these animals. But when the Lord God comes to make a covenant with Abram, Abram's asleep. And the Lord God walks through the animals, the the, the divided animals, and he says, I will be your God. I will keep my promise. I will take on all responsibility of the covenant And if anyone breaks this covenant, let me be torn asunder. God takes all of the responsibility. 
Every bit of it. All of it. He says, put it all on me. If I break the covenant, let me be torn asunder. If you break the covenant, Abram, let me be torn asunder. God takes all of the responsibilities upon Himself. Oh, what a guarantee. <laughs> what a wonderful guarantee. God says, I promise you this. I require nothing of you. And if you break covenant with me, despite all of this, I bear the responsibility. Let my body be torn asunder. What was Abram's response to God's covenant? We see here Abram's rewarded response there in verse 6, right in the middle. Abram believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. He believed Him. He just believed Him. This, this is God. I trust Him. If He promises it, it's going to be so. He believed Him. He had faith. See, that's what faith is. It's believing. God said it. It's going to be so. It's believing that, trusting in that. Abram believed God, and because of his faith, God counted his faith as righteousness. God counted his faith as righteousness. It's not that Abram was righteous. We've already seen him fail. He lied in Egypt and brought a curse to the land of Egypt. As soon as we get from this, the next chapter over, we're going to see him mess up again. And, and he's going to go out and try to do things his own way instead of trusting in the Lord completely and it's like going God's way. He's, he's going to come up with his own plan of how to make all this happen. And he's going, to, he's going to veer away. He's going to mess up. He's going to sin. Abram wasn't righteous. He failed over and over and over again. But his faith, God counted as righteousness God counted his faith as moral uprightness if you will as if he was morally perfect completely perfect in the sight of God because of his faith what does that mean that he counted it to him as righteousness think about it like this you owe a creditor a billion dollars <laughs> you owe a billion dollars and you have zero in your bank account and that creditor comes in and he says you know what I'm gonna count your bill as paid I'm going to count it as if you had a billion dollars and you paid it completely. That's kind of what we're looking at here. As far as righteousness is concerned, Abram was bankrupt, just like each and every one of us are bankrupt before a perfect, righteous God. Nevertheless, 
God, whom we owe righteousness to, comes and says, I count faith as righteousness. Abram believed God, and God counted his faith as righteousness. Well, was Abram's, this, the covenant, was it fulfilled in the life of Abram? Part of it was. Part of it was. Was God's going through the, the, the pieces there. He talks about well, one day your, your offspring will rise up after you and, and they're going to go to a land and they're going to be in a land for 400 years and they're, they're going to be servants in that land. That's talking about the Israelites in the land of Egypt. And God said, I will bring them out of that and bring them to the land of promise. So a portion of it, and in one sense, was, was fulfilled in the exodus and the conquest of Canaan. But was all of it fulfilled? When you think about the language that God uses here, God says, I promise I will give you the land, Abram. I will give you the land. Not only that, he says, look at the stars and, and count them if you can. So shall your offspring be. When the people of Israel came out of, out of Egypt, were there not census cast and the people counted? So no, the, full, the, the promise wasn't fulfilled yet. <laughs> In Abram's lifetime, even in the, the time of the nation of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, there's still things that have to be met. You see, because God's ultimate fulfillment is in Christ. The ultimate fulfillment of Abraham's, Abraham's covenant with God is fulfilled in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, because in Jesus Christ, Christ bore all responsibility. Christ bore all the responsibility for all of Abram's covenant cutting, for, for doing things his own way, for transgressing against God, for sinning against God. All of that was covered by Christ like all of our sin all of our failure all of our rebellion against God counted against Christ and there on Calvary's cross God the Son raised up his arms and he allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be poured out. Just as God had promised to Abram, if you break the covenant, let me be torn asunder. God the Son was torn asunder on the cross, bearing the curse of sin in our place. Christ bore all the responsibility. Galatians chapter 3 Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ bore all the responsibility so that Christ could give us all the blessing. Christ gives all the blessings. He gives all the blessings because he bore our sin and paid the penalty for our sin. 
for breaking covenant with God. By God's grace, through faith, we can enjoy the righteousness that Abram enjoyed. Having Christ's righteousness, His moral perfection counted to our account. <laughs> oh, praise be to God. We can enjoy all the rich blessings of God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All who have faith, dear friends, are counted as Abram's offspring. Galatians 3, verses 7 through 9 reads like this, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abram, Abraham. And the Scripture foreseeing that, God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Dear friends, today, believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. It was the gospel that, that God pronounced to Abram when he, he made that covenant with him. And it's the gospel that he proclaims to us today. We only get the full, fuller fic, uh, picture of it now. We see God's body broken and blood torn, poured out for us on Calvary's cross. And God doesn't come to us like many other religions and say, if you'll get your act together, then I will bless you. God comes to us and says, I will bless you. I will bless you if you only believe. Believe. Trust. And receive my blessings. Your friend, do you trust him today? Do you trust Christ? If you trust in Jesus, then you, you, you gain all the wonderful blessings that God promised to Abraham and continues to promise to us today. Believe God. Believe God's promise. Believe the gospel. Believe God and your faith will be counted as righteousness. Do you believe? Oh, Heavenly Father. Lord, when we look at your promise, When the world looks at your promise, they say, oh, what foolishness that a God would give with no requirements. That the foolishness of man is wisdom to God. And God, you walk through those pieces. 
and you've promised blessing by your grace alone. And you went to the cross, Lord Jesus. And you were broken for us. You were broken so that we might receive the blessing. Father, thank you for sending the Son. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and dying. And Holy Spirit, thank you for bringing the life promised. Oh Lord, if there are those here today who are walking in their wickedness, walking in their rebellion, today, Lord, let them believe and receive the righteousness that comes only through Christ. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.